Our first scripture reading this morning is from the fifth chapter of the letter of Paul to the Romans, found in page 145 in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the Gospel according to John, the fourth chapter. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asks a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you'd have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said, Go call your husband. Come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you say that the place people must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Jesus said to her, woman, to believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am He, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do not say, Four months, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around, and you'll see that the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans came from that city and believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts in prayer with me, please. We are gathered with a sense of anticipation you don't always know why you call us together, O oh Lord. And then we arrive and we see the faces of friends and strangers, the joy of shared worship. Somewhere through that, the wind that is your spirit blows into our own hearts. Give us a clear reason for why we have come. And may we share that reason to extend an invitation to others in Christ. Amen. Here are the words again that were read from the Epistle to the Romans. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have peace. Not we can anticipate peace, not that we will find peace, but that the peace already exists. We are unashamed because God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit 
because while we were, past tense, enemies, we were, again, past tense, reconciled to God through the death of His Son. We have peace. What's going on here? Now let's attempt to hold on to this thought. Even before we begin our journey, even before we start our journey, God is not angry with you. Before we even begin, God's not angry with you. God is not distant from you. God in Christ is our companion, not our destination. God is our companion, not our destination. Let's take a few moments this morning to consider the account of this woman who is by the well. It's midday. A solitary woman is drawing water from Jacob's well when she comes upon a solitary Jewish rabbi who is sitting there and asks her for a drink of water. She's somewhat startled at the request because Jews in general and rabbis in particular seldom even ask the Samaritans the time of day, let alone permit themselves to be served by one. As their conversation unfolds, they banter about water. The rabbi commends the water that wells up in one's soul uh, to eternally quench thirst, knowing that the rabbi is speaking in riddles, parables if you will. The woman jokes that she wouldn't have to work so hard if she had this water that she could carry around that would bubble up within her. And then we learn some other fact about this woman. We learn that this woman cannot have children. Hmm. She cannot have children? How do we figure that out? It's very simple. She's been married five times. Each time divorced, most likely because she was barren. To have a wife without children was great shame to the husband. In ancient world, a child, childless wife was an embarrassment. And rather than suggest that the infertility could have been the man's problem, divorce was a simple option. You're not making babies for me. Clearly it's not my fault. How about if you scoot along? Her current benefactor was a sixth man who had taken her in. We want to suggest that they were somehow shacking up, but that's our interpretation. Please don't overlay 20th century morality on this first century occasion. The woman is neither embarrassed nor is she apologetic for the fact that her current living situation is outside of marriage. And Jesus never suggests that she has to repent of anything or that she should marry this man in order to become an honest woman. That isn't even on the table in this conversation. So she is receiving the grace of someone who has taken her in. He's not her husband. At this point, the story slides into a discussion that sounds vaguely familiar with last week's gospel text, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Except this woman turns out to be far more sophisticated than Nicodemus was. When Jesus told Nicodemus about rebirth and about the blowing wind of the Spirit, Nicodemus just sort of gapes with confusion. I, go back into my mother's womb, what's this business about when? The woman responds, we worship God on this mountain, you worship God in, in Jerusalem. And Jesus concurs. She's right there with him, keeping track of every turn of the conversation. But Jesus commends a time when everyone will worship God in spirit, in the wind that he was trying to convey to Nicodemus. And in truth, 
truth in the sense of certainty and clarity. A time will come when you don't need to go to a special mountain or to a special temple. A time will come when all will worship God wherever that wind of the Spirit is blowing, and you will do it with certainty and confidence. The woman points out uh, that the Jews and Samaritans were equally anticipating the coming of a Messiah. We both wait for a Messiah, she says, and when the Messiah comes, we'll understand all of this. And Jesus tells her, I'm the guy. I'm here. What Jesus is conveying to this woman is exactly what Paul is trying to convey to us in Romans chapter 5. God is not angry with you. God is not distant from you. God in Christ is your companion, not your destination. We have the same thing that happens in Luke 24. Cleopas and his companion are returning from Emmaus after the Passover in Jerusalem and the crucifixion of Jesus. A third individual joins them on the road as they are walking and asks them about their conversation. And they tell this stranger all about this Jesus of Nazareth, or rabbi that many thought was the Messiah, but he was crucified by the officials. Some of the women are now saying that they went to his grave and it looks like he's raised from the dead, and they didn't know what to think. As you know the story on the road to Emmaus, the stranger appears to be going on, and as an act of hospitality, they say, no, no, spend the night with us. At dinner, he asks if he may say grace. He takes the bread. He gives thanks. He breaks it. He gives it to them. And at that moment, they recognize it was Jesus who was with them all the time on the road. Their response is that they run back to Jerusalem. And it was similar to exactly what the Samaritan woman does. She runs to her town. Did our hearts not burn within us when he talked to us on the road? Come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Is it possible that he is the Messiah? The disciples come back, stopping off for lunch and bringing some to Jesus, completely clueless. He's talking to a woman. They think he needs something to eat. Jesus tells him, no, he's, he's full. And they wonder, did somebody bring him a sandwich? Ten chapters later, the disciples are still clueless, by the way. In John 14, 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and then we will be satisfied. Jesus says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, that you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives and does His work through me. Just believe me that I and my Father and my Father is in me. Jesus is there with the disciples. They have no clue. He's not hungry because the conversation with the Samaritan woman was so satisfying that He has no problem working through lunch. Here's the piece we often miss, the revelation of God's presence with us through Christ never a solitary experience. Jesus with Nicodemus. Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Jesus' presence is always recognized through interaction with others. Our, our spirituality, I fear, has become a very private and individuated moment. 
It's Jesus and me. God is with me and I am talking with God in order that I might discern and ask God to make God's presence known to me. When in reality that presence is known in the sharing with others, not in the private experience. That's why I really appreciated Melissa's confession today that all of the advice we offer, all of the times that we pray for somebody and not with them, we're denying ourselves the sharing of the true presence of Christ that always happens in our expression of love to neighbor. Jesus, uh, Nicodemus, misses this point. He does not tell anybody about his conversation. He wraps up the conversation with Jesus and goes on his way. And so we hear very little about Nicodemus becoming any kind of evangelist. Tradition holds that after the resurrection, it snapped into shape for Nicodemus and he became more outspoken. But not like the Samaritan woman who immediately goes and speaks, or the two on the road to Emmaus who immediately run back to Jerusalem. And in telling, the presence of the Messiah becomes even more certain for them. It's in the sharing. It's in the telling that our companionship with Christ is made most real. That's why Jesus said, when two or three are gathered, I will be in their midst. Not, not when you're all by yourself. When two or three are gathered, I will be in your midst. Which brings me to a nasty little word that has been emptied of its meaning by those who have twisted it so that both you and I are profoundly embarrassed to use it referring to ourselves. The word is, ooh, evangelism, or evangelical. I shudder at that word coming out of my mouth without disdain. But what I shudder and should shudder about is how that word has been twisted. For the past few weeks, uh, Reverend uh, 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 Doreen Sturbe Azur has been sharing in our adult education class a series of tough topics for Christians and hopefully these will uh, expand into larger opportunities for adult education uh, in that hour after church. In a couple of weeks Joe Yount will be offering a class about evangelicals, what happened to evangelicals and uh, I want to let you know that you are invited to stick around after worship always to take us through this series of difficult topics and we will be talking about Christian evangelicals and why that term has become so problematic but that's an advertisement now back to the sermon here are the gospel accounts it seems imperative that the true revelation of Christ's companionship becomes most clear clear when the good news is shared with others Again, that power of the conversation with Nicodemus. And here at Jacob's well with the Samaritan woman, the difference between the two is one went out and shared and found a whole community that enthusiastically embraced the Messiah. The other one walked away a little timid and afraid. We could say a lot about class distinctions and feminism and other elements that are mixed into the story with the Samaritan woman, all of which worthy of exploration, but... Today I just want to confine my thoughts to this, and that is that Christ's presence becomes most real when Christ's presence is shared. The story is told of a ship that was becalmed in the South Atlantic. 
So long had they been there that they had used up their supplies of fresh water. And while they were continuing to drift to the west towards what they hoped would be the coast of South America, they realized that they were completely perched and they could not draw seawater or the water itself would kill them. They saw another ship not far and so they made their way over close enough to be able to shout from one deck to the other. And in shouting from one deck to the other, they said, we are out of water, we are parched, can you spare water? And the word came back from the other ship, lower your buckets and drink the water underneath you. Shouted back, what do you want us to die? If you don't have extra water, let us know, but don't mock us so. And the word came back, lower your buckets into the water and drink. They finally illustrated what they wanted them to do by lowering their own buckets over the side of the ship and pulling them up and pouring out the water to the other sailors on the boat. And they all drank and stood refreshed. Reluctantly, the captain who was parched and knew that his crew was about to die suggested they do the same. And as the bucket went over the side, they pulled it back up and the water was good and sweet. See, what had happened was, 95 miles out from the Amazon River, the fresh water pours so aggressively into the Atlantic that you drink fresh water that is spilled from the river, and the seawater is pushed aside. In the ocean, you can only see about four or five miles to the horizon. At most, on the clearest of days, they had no idea how close to land they were, let alone that they had been sailing already for a day and a half in fresh water. They were told. Not that we have water and we know what we're doing. They were told that both of us are already bathed in the fresh water that we need for life and refreshment. That's how it is with us when we discover the presence of Christ and the refreshing reality of God's grace, we are not pointing to ourselves in our evangelism. We are merely pointing out to the world around us that they too sit in the midst of refreshment. and They too need only drink. Paul said, God's Spirit has poured God's love richly into our hearts so that it boundlessly spills out into the world. We do not boast. It's not ours. It's grace that we've discovered. And in the process of sharing the reality of grace, the presence of Christ becomes most real to us. Let us end with this thought. Even before we begin our journey, God is not angry with you. God is not distant from you. God in Christ is your companion, not our destination. Let me assure you of this, like the woman at the well. If you share it, you'll see it. Amen. Please stand and join with me in the affirmation of our faith and the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the